What's up guys, Four Corners, it's our preview series continued. We are starting off with the Southwest and followed up by the Pacific Divisions. I'm here with my co-host in a two-man game right now with Peter, Bucket Since 88. How are you doing? Doing great. Uh, it was fun to go over the East, and now I'm excited to get to my favorite conference. The Western Conference. Right, That's right, right. right. All right. Awesome, awesome. And I am your other co-host. You can find me on Twitter at Solar Rage. You can find him on Twitter at Bucket Since 88. You can find us at Four Quarters Pod. Where are we starting? Let's start with the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, they've got a little bit of turnover, not too much. The So the most some, interesting... Some important turnover. Yeah. So the most interesting turnover is off the court. They Rick Carlisle, you know, mutually parted ways. He did not get fired. He said he was out. Sorry, um, I'm air quoting right now. Okay. Yeah. He... Well, I, yeah. I mean, that's interesting. I don't think he was told that they didn't want him back but i just think there was enough tension and just they were kind of treading water with him as a personality i feel like and you know i i can respect that you know sometimes once you're hearing the same voice for so long things can get old i mean i forget who it who it was but there's a famous coach that always says like three years is is perfect you know, anything after that is too long. Maybe it was Larry Brown. Mm. I know he's always bounced around. But uh, George Carl, I feel like that's probably a similar sentiment. Oh my God! Can you imagine having him be your coach for like seven years? Yeah, would... I mean, and he was here for a long in Denver. I mean, for a long time, and uh, I think right. as he came, they kind of came to similar ends. It feels like it's just tough because I mean, George is definitely a Hall of Fame caliber coach, but. Absolutely. When you get rid of a guy, you better be right because we've seen in so many different sports when you get rid of a guy because he's not getting at the top, top level, you know, the guy you replace him with could be way worse. So, right. So, who did Dallas replace? Uh, so, they lose Rick Carlisle. He's coaches who, of all time. But. Yeah. He won their championship back with Dirk, you know, 10 years ago. And they bring in Jason Kidd, who okay. was the point guard on that team that won their championship, played for Rick Carlisle. He's been a head in uh, head coach in the NBA twice already with Brooklyn and with Milwaukee, and neither time really went well. Uh, the Bucks were pretty stuck in the mud with him, and then once he left, Budenholzer really opened things up, and uh, they sort of broke through. Uh, he's been an assistant with the Lakers. Uh, his buddies with LeBron, so they they look at basketball in a very similar way. Um, but you know, I'm willing to be open here because I think kid has probably learned a lot from all his stops. Um, obviously he's still got an ego, so he's going to do some things his way, but he's definitely going to do things differently than Rick Carlisle did. So we'll see how that goes. Let's get into the starting lineup. So mm -hmm. the do everything player for the Mavericks is Luka Doncic, the number one overall pick from a few years ago. He's already made the all-star team. He was first team all NBA last year, just signed a super max contract extension. And next to him in the backcourt, they bring back Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, who was sort of the smaller player in the Chris Haps Porzingis deal they made. And 
he's been a good player for them. I mean, he doesn't make sports center a lot, not a lot of highlight plays, but you could do worse as a number two option. I mean, he's not he's not an all-star, but I kind of look at him as like a Tobias Harris of shooting guards. Uh, then you got Dorian Finney-Smith, uh, extremely solid 3 and D guy, solid defense, hits a good amount of threes, low usage, can't really dribble, but he he's fine. He's not he's just not somebody you really notice. Uh, he's not really mixing it up a lot, but he's also not hurting you either. Uh, then they got Chris Apps at the four, uh, who by all accounts is healthy. They're saying he looks good. Uh, and then Dwight Powell coming back at center, who's an athletic guy, role guy, but he's not real big, uh, not a great defender. So that's interesting that they're going with him at center. Off the bench, they got Jalen Brunson who's probably one of the better backup point guards in the league, even though he struggled in the playoffs last year. They bring in Reggie Bullock, who was a really good 3 and D player for the Knicks last year. Uh, They still have Josh Green, their first-round pick from last year. They bring in Sterling Brown, who's also another 3 and D guy, kind of bounced around the league. They still have Maxi Kleber. Uh, He's a solid rotational big, good shooter, knows where to be. Uh, And they still have Willie Cauley-Stein, and Boban Marjanovic. So they've got a lot of options at the big man position. Uh, I just don't know if any of them are going to be good enough on defense. Uh, because the guy they really need to pop on defense is Chris Stapps, right? I mean, Chris Stapps has been out of it offensively, but he, I think he's kind of it's kind of been forgotten how he used to be a pretty good defender before he had For injuries. Sure you know, with the length and he's, he's also just been kind of a soft player for like as big as he is. He just doesn't really rebound the basketball, but uh, the good parts of this team, I mean, Luka Doncic, he's like, he's so good that when he walks on the floor and he suits up and he's healthy, your team has a chance to win the game. I mean, I totally subscribe to the old adage of if you have the best player on the floor, you have a chance to win the game. That's true at any level of basketball. So they have Luka Doncic, there's not many basketball games the Dallas Mavericks walk into when they don't have the best player on the floor. So Luka gives you a chance every night, which to me means this team has a really high floor, right? Like I don't see how this team misses the playoffs if he's healthy, right? Like worst case, I see right. them eight seed. Like they could go to the play-in because the West is so deep, but I think they're going to be in that five to eight range. Um, what are your initial thoughts on the Mavericks? I think they're in an interesting position in the sense that they are trying to continue to produce the sort of offensive numbers that they've had over the recent years, but at the same time, develop their defense in such a way that they can hold up against the higher octane offenses of competition competitive teams in the West at the highest levels. And so, you know, I think the question for them is you have Luka Doncic and you have this idea of building a, building a heliocentric system around him where you can uh, put the ball in his hands and give him a lot of options in terms of outlets and people to pass to and players who are going to finish both at the rim, uh, whether it's rolling bigs or cutting players or players who can shoot from the perimeter. 
my question with them is, can you do both of those things at the same time? And I think a lot of that is defensive personnel around Luca, but I also feel that there is a question about secondary leadership behind him offensively, where can he take a smaller role offensively somewhat so that he can himself be a better defender? Because I think for a lot of players who are tasked with being that all-encompassing force offensively, it almost becomes impossible to to be that on both ends, to give your all on offense or even give your all on defense and then do the opposite, you know, when the ball goes the other way. And I I think that's going to be the limitation for this team. Uh, Do you, do you feel like Luca can be a better defender or or what do you feel like that? No, No, I think, I think Luca is who he is. He's going to be an all NBA first team offensive player. And, you know, I actually give him a passport because I just think that, I mean, you've played basketball at so many different levels, right? Like when you're the best player on your team, they look to you to score and to do, they, they look to Luca to do so much that mm-hmm. he's going to be, he's not going to be able to spend the energy on defense to be able to be an all NBA first team caliber offense player. I just don't think that's realistic. So if you're asking me about the offense, Here's how I view the Mavericks. Their offense has been really good. So even with the head coaching change, I don't expect that to change. Um, yeah, I'll have my eye on Chris Apps, but Luca is so good that he creates stuff for other guys. They don't really have to have guys that are good at creating their own shot because he creates everything. He he gets them open threes, generates them good looks all the time. I think they can be a top five offense in the NBA potentially. Top 10 at worst. I don't see them being worse than a top 10 team offensively. Now, the question I have about the roster as a whole is the guy we've already heard Luca be compared to is LeBron James. Now, what kind of teams were good when LeBron was on them early in his career with the Cavs, I'm thinking? And then even when he went there again, they were teams that could shoot and that played defense, right? They had really good defenders like Tristan Thompson um, and a bunch of other different guys, Amon Shumpert. Uh, sure. This Mavericks team, to me, they would be better off with a guy in Kristaps' spot who's, like, really athletic and also really, like, creates havoc on defense, like a like a Draymond Green, Jaron Jackson, you know, pretty much anybody but Kristaps. <laughs> so I it's was hard. actually yeah. kind of skeptical of that pairing at the beginning because I was like, well, Kristaps is a really good offensive player, but does he have the right mindset to be a number two and then to – kind of anchor the defense. I was like, he could, but I don't think he has the right mindset. So it's going to be interesting to see like how those guys mesh to start the year. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I just think that with Luca, you're going to have a good offense. You need to bring in more defense. If you want to kind of break through to that next level, because as we saw in the playoffs, Luca can go off and the Mavericks will score 115, 120 points in the game but they give it right back on the other end. You're right, for sure. Uh, do you think Chris Apps can be the defender that they're looking for? Because um, I, I also think about LeBron James teams in the past, and I all I 
there's the heat uh, as well, where I feel like LeBron had players that he could trust to sort of carry the load to some extent uh, while he, whether it's him kind of taking, I don't want to say taking plays off because that makes it sound like he's not contributing in any way, but not being the center of attention uh, where in Dwayne Wade and even Chris Bosh to some extent. And I think about LeBron teams right now with uh, Anthony Davis, where he feels like in Russell Westbrook that in a regular season on a night and night, well, night in and night out basis, can he trust those guys to sort of uh, ease the burden for him? So at the very least, whether, you know, whether, whether, whether Luke can be a better defender or not, he has the juice at the end of games to really put that team over the top. Do you see Chris Stapps as a potential guy who can do either of those things, be able to the defensive support that he needs, or even the sort of offensive uh, stopgap for him in the short periods where he just needs a break? So the defense, I would be more surprised if that comes back to a good level. The offense, mm-hmm. I feel like I've seen it before more consistently, and I think he could get back to that. Mostly not just because of skill set, but because I think I just think that's how he's wired, right? And I want to make this larger point. Even if if we can just go ahead and pretend for a sec, like let's let's assume that Chris Stapps is 100 percent healthy, right? Let's say he's back, sure. no worries about injuries. I'm with the you. NBA has changed quite a bit even since his rookie year right remember how he came onto the scene he was a good player blocking shots creating havoc here and there durant calls him a unicorn well that was still just like the beginning of the three-point barrage right i mean yeah it was after the dwight magic team that was kind of like one of the first teams to play like that but that was like the birth of the warriors and everybody's trying to copy them and it's like now almost everybody can shoot so as we saw in the playoffs just last year, you can have Rudy Gobert. If the other team can play five out, well, Rudy Gobert is now useless. And Chris Stops isn't Rudy Gobert. So even if he if everything goes right and he's the B version of Gobert, he's just doesn't have you mean. the lateral quickness. Yeah, defensively. He doesn't have the potential to be as impactful as he used to be because the game is more spread out now. So I think Kristaps has to make an impact offensively to even justify being a crunch time player that's playing like 30, 35 minutes a game. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of with you in that. I I think it's, uh, there are a lot of bigs who can shoot threes now in in ways that, you know, he might've been a handful, might've been five guys in the league who, were shooters on the level that he was at the height that he is. But even on his own team, you know, Boban is also shooting threes now. Uh, Maxi Kleba uh, can also space the floor to some extent. So it becomes what is the sort of marginal impact of, of what he can do. And I think a lot of how far Dallas can go as a team is going to be dependent on Kristaps bouncing back one way or the other, either offensively or defensively or some combination of the two or whatever they can uh, find for him in trade. If that is the route that they want to go, I'm not sure that it is. Uh, that's, that's, they're in a tough position 
you know, they are. in that sense, because uh, Luca is one of those players who is generational talent. He's a guy that um, obviously we're in the player empowerment era and a time where a star player can leave and they can be happy one day and uh, out the door the next. So Dallas has put themselves in a position with that Kristaps trade where they don't have too many assets going forward to contribute to making more deals and making more moves. Can they keep him and keep him happy? Uh, and is he going to be okay with being uh, everyone wants to be the best player in the league if they can. And I think for him, a lot of that determination is going to happen in the playoffs and, and how far they go in those playoffs. Um, it is. And I think it's going to be, he's one of my most fascinating players to watch this year because we know he has the talent for me. It's all about the mindset and you know, he never completely flamed him, but I just get the sense that him and Carlisle didn't really click. Carlisle, like, never completely threw him under the bus, but the way he used him just kind of showed me that I don't think he really respected him. Um, mm-hmm. Regarding you know Chris Epps like, kind of being relegated to, like, a corner, extend the corner, shoot threes kind of role. Yeah. I don't know if you can relate to this on the way you play basketball, but I know I can, and I've definitely seen guys where, you know how sometimes when a guy hits his first couple shots, now the juices are Mm -hmm. flowing, they're into it, and it's like they're locked in for the whole game, even if they're not necessarily one of the better guys on the team. And then other guys, and and then the same guy, it's like, if you missed your first two shots, well, now he's kind of out of it. Not like That's how I view Porzingis. He doesn't have all-star level mentality, even though he's paid and has the talent of a max player. So... Will Jason Kidd and his teammates be able to give him that confidence? Because it doesn't like the sneaky thing about Luca is it doesn't seem like he's quite there as a leader yet, right? Where he can instill like that confidence in other players in the right. same way that he exudes it himself. Yeah, because uh, I, you know, I think that is a challenge when you have a player like that and you're sort of. Um, it's it's why Shane Battier was so like valuable because. <laughs> he could be in a space where he's surrounded by these really talented players and not feel like the moment was too big for him when it yeah. did come to him. Uh, I, I think it's an interesting question and it's, it's why, you know, I have the Mavericks in the, uh, a tier that is trying to contend, but not exactly there. If that makes sense. Uh, I think they still yeah. have a little bit more to go if they want to be even like dark horse contenders for uh, for a title. Jeez. Yeah, I, I'm not as high as some people. I, I've seen some takes where some people think they could get to the finals. I'd like to mm-hmm. see Luca win one round first. I mean, I respect Luca enough to where exactly. I, I do think they could make the second round. I just don't, it's not that I don't believe in Luca. I just don't think the roster is good enough to get to the Western Conference finals. I, I would be shocked if that team, if the team makes it that far this year. Um, and there are a lot of good teams in that in, in that range. Uh, of yeah. trying to be contenders. You know, you've got the Blazers, you've got the Grizzlies, you've got the Wolves, you, you've got the Clippers, uh, or the team that they've contended with a lot. Uh, and I know, you know, they only got Paul George this year, but some people would say the Mavericks only have Luka. So it, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. Uh, do you want to, do you have anything to add or do you want to keep moving to the uh, next squad? I'm ready to head a little further south in Texas and okay. talk about the Houston Rockets. All right. So they are coached by Steven Silas. Uh, it's his second year coaching in the NBA. You know, 
really, uh, man, he's been given a, a tough, tough deck of cards because, you know, assistant coach for so long, then finally gets the opportunity, right, as like Harden wants out, right? So mm-hmm. now you're in a rebuilding situation. So they're, they've got a pretty young team. Uh, in the backcourt, they're going to start Kevin Porter Jr. and their number one draft pick, Jalen Green. Eric Gordon is still here. I guess they got him listed as a three. He's more of a two guard, though. He's only 6'3". Uh, they signed Daniel Tice, which was interesting. I mean, he's just like a rotational big guy. Uh, and then they still have Christian Wood, who's a really intriguing player because he's got a lot of talent, but he kind of floats in and out. I don't know if he's the most tenacious player. Um, off the bench, they got DJ Augustine. I didn't even know he was still in the league. but That is a, shocking. He's that a decent backup point guard. Uh, they got Daniel House, who I kind of like as a 3 and D guy. I mean, he he was a good player on those Rockets teams that were really good a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jay Sean Tate, real real scrappy guy. I mean, he's 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 a grinder. He's like the kind of guy you really like if you watch the NBA because, I mean, he was a 25-year-old rookie after, you know, not making the league out of college and grinding overseas and, and finds his way onto a roster. Uh, they got Kenyon Martin Jr., uh, Kenyon's son. So he's, you know, he's a good athlete. He's still figuring it out. He, he's going to get more minutes on a young team. And they have Alperin Sengun. I probably butchered that name, but he's a, another first round pick from Turkey. And a lot of people are intrigued in his game. Very good offensive center, good passer. Some people even compared him to Jokic, which is like, okay, slow down. Uh, <laughs> not much of a defender, but, you know, this team is not trying to win games. Let's be clear. They also have Josh Christopher, another draft pick, really good athlete. I was kind of down on his game because, I mean, he didn't do a whole lot of Arizona State, but he played well in Summer League. And then one of your favorite draft uh, picks, they have Usman Garuba. Ooh. So this is an exciting mix of young players. If you're a Rockets fan, you got you to gotta be pretty happy knowing that you got a lot of talent uh, going into the season. Uh, they're not going to make the playoffs. Uh, oh, and we should we should mention briefly that John Wall is still on the roster here. He's not going to play. The team and him have mutually decided it's best you just sit out and we wait for a trade. You know, I'm not going to predict if that's going to happen or not. I would guess no because who wants that contract? Uh, but it doesn't look like he's going to be a distraction. So that's a good thing. Uh, I'm really not all that interested in this team this year. Not just because they're going to be bad, but it's like, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see Jalen Green, but. I actually don't enjoy really fast-paced, high-scoring basketball if there's no defense. Like, I totally expect after a month in the season, we're going to be able to go to NBA.com, look at the leading scores in the league, and one or both of those guys might be in the top 30. You know? And it's like, whoa, Jalen Green, 23 points a game. And it's like, that's nice, but it's just not going to mean a whole lot to me because the team's going to be like 5-20. and Um. What, what what interests you about the Rockets, Ray? It interests me that they have DJ Augustine. <laughs> and I think that is, uh, I, that's honestly the most interesting thing about this team in the sense that it is the clearest signal that this is not a team that's trying to win games. So uh, if he plays well, he can play himself into a trade to a contender, right? Who needs a backup point guard? <laughs> no, I think he, I, honestly, I think he's, 
the kind of player who you know you have up on your you have him on your roster and he's not he's going to be a professional he's going to do his job and he's going to yeah. play probably better than some rookie that you drafted and uh be enough he's to the challenge vet. them for minutes he's the vet and at the end of the year if you want to get rid of him it's going to be really easy to do that um uh, and Honestly, props to DJ Augustine for being in the league this long. I mean, absolutely. How many years have I have I said, "Wow, he's still here, and he's in Orlando, yeah. or he's in Denver, or you know, wherever he might be"? It's it's kind of impressive. Uh, so get those checks. Durant's teammate at Texas. He's been in the league as long as KD. Uh, yeah, I'm always a fan of if you're a rebuilding team, get yourself at least one or two veterans that are willing to be there because, yeah, you know. If when you go the other way, like the process Sixers did, they had no veterans. That's just who do you learn from? Like how you have to trust your coaches at that point to instill good habits, which it's possible. But you know, Augustine's going to be the guy. He's going to be on time to everything. He's going to probably be there early, getting treatment, getting shots up. He's going to be setting a good example for the young guys. So a professional. I think it makes sense to have him there. Uh, outside of that, you know, I I do feel like they have a lot of talent. They have. I hesitate to say a lot of talent, but they have a lot of uh, players that can develop well. And and I think they're in a relatively good position with, uh, I know that James Harden trade didn't go as well as some people might like, but I think they have assets that if they draft well and they continue to uh, develop the players, I think they're, you know, in three to five years, they're going to be a solid team. to maybe even a great team. Who knows? Uh, they're, uh, I will admit, there's not too much to say at this point about the Rockets, just because right. uh, it's hard to say. If you're an NBA fan, are you are you are they one of your league pass fans? Probably not. But uh, if I'm a Rockets fan, I'd rather be committing to the rebuild than where a lot of teams are. Yes. That is uh, not willing to commit to the rebuild, but also not good enough to really uh, be a competitive team. So, right. And they're at the stage right now where Porter jr. And green have a lot of potential. I mean, I think it's fair to say both guys have all-star potential. Uh, it's just, they're both so young. So we don't really know. What to see, it's just going to be a fun season for rockets fans of, of watching those guys grow. You know, they'll have some, they'll have some fun wins here and there, you know, yeah. they'll, they'll have games where they go off and like beat, you know, a pretty good team that'll surprise people. But, yeah, they're not going to be in the mix for a playoff spot this year. Uh, I'm ready to move on if you are. Yeah, I'm good. All right, so we got the Memphis Grizzlies. Their head coach is Taylor Jenkins. This is the only NBA team he's coached. And I'll be honest, I had no idea who he was when they hired him. But he seems like a pretty good coach. They they seem to play good defense for him and move the ball, and they know what they're doing. The, the Grizzlies are actually one of my favorite teams to watch because they just play so damn hard, man. Like I've never watched the Grizzlies and go, man, they just don't care tonight, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that 99% of the time basketball team is a reflection of their team's best player. And that's, that's what John Moran is. Like if you don't like John Morant, then either the Grizzlies are your rival or he did something to you. Cause you don't like basketball. I mean, that guy, he plays so <laughs> hard, right? I mean, yeah, there's stuff you can pick about, pick apart his game schematically but that that dude's heart and his will and his energy and intensity is just a perfect fit for the city of memphis absolutely uh absolutely. so jaw is 
he's the face of the Grizzlies right now. He's in the backcourt. He's got Dylan Brooks. He's got Desmond Bain. And then up front, you got Jaron Jackson Jr., who is so talented but has really struggled with injuries. You really hope that guy can can put together a healthy season because he's just oozing with potential. And then they made an interesting trade this summer. They traded Jonas Valanciunas, who was their second-best player last year. And, you know, some of the analytics nerds even said, well, he's actually their best player. I, don't, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, and they traded him to the Pelicans to move up in the draft, and they got back Steven Adams. So Adams is not as good offensively as Valanciunas, but he's probably a little bit better defensively. So the Grizzlies kind of leaned in more to the grit and grind era again a little bit with that move, in my opinion. But I also sure. think that was more about moving up in the draft. So they went from the 17th pick to the 10th pick, and they drafted Zaire Williams, who is a really long, lanky, small forward from Stanford, who actually had injury issues at Stanford. Uh, but he's definitely got – he showed flashes. He he wasn't as consistent as people liked. If he was more consistent, he probably would have been a higher draft pick. But uh, he's definitely got talent and potential. So that was, that was a big swing by them. Uh, off the bench, they got Tyus Jones. DeAnthony Melton, who's one of the better six men in the league. I mean, that guy can really fill it up, and he's got range. They got one of the fan favorites of the NBA, Kyle Anderson, slow-mo. What, what a great slow nickname, mo. right? I mean, this guy is 6'8", yeah. long, and just – he literally does look like he's always a step behind on the floor, but he makes plays. <laughs> and then they got Brandon Clark and Xavier Tillman off the bench. Two uh, pretty springy – Big men that are kind of undersized and can't shoot, but you know they're lunch pail guys. They're kind of in that that Montrez Harrell mold of I'm going to come in the game and I'm just going to wreck stuff and blow stuff up and make it happen. Uh, mm -hmm. And Clark Clark actually started to show the ability to stretch the floor a little bit last year. He was he's an interesting story because he's kind of a late bloomer. He started at San Jose State, played really well, transferred to Gonzaga, and then blew up and. Uh, He's got a lot of talent, but he had a better rookie year, I feel like, and then they kind of uh, decreased his minutes. Um, they also traded for Jarrett Culver, which I thought was interesting because I thought Culver was just terrible for the Timberwolves. I mean, the Timberwolves moved up to get him, and he was really good at Texas Tech, but he just looked completely lost. Uh, so I'm willing to give him a second chance, one, because he's still young, but two, because what was the Timberwolves? I mean, we've seen a lot of careers go to die there, right? So For sure. you, you get For him sure. into a team that's a better organization that knows what they're doing. Maybe they can develop him and he'll turn into something. Um, it's a lot of, lot of good players here, but really only one stud that you would say has a chance to make the All-Star game this year, John Morant. They're kind of in that lower tier of the West. They, they made the playoffs last year because they won – playing game against the Warriors. Um, they're just one of those like pesky teams that when you see them on the schedule, you're like, ah oh, man, we got to play those guys. Like right. they play so hard, but their ceiling isn't like, I don't see them winning a playoff round this year, but I wouldn't shock me if they made the playoffs either. How do you see it? I see them in competition with teams like the Blazers, the Mavericks, the Wolves, the Los Angeles Clippers. I think they're a playoff team. Uh, okay. I think they've had a lot of 
underwhelming outcomes in, in their in, in this era of, of Grizzlies basketball. And while that is, you know, it's disappointing, of course, but I think it's also motivating. And I think they're not a team that many uh, people, both uh, as, as players in the league or even fans, are going to expect or think about. But I think they'll be right in the mix for, you know, coming, maybe even avoiding the even avoiding the plan, I should say. Uh, oh, wow. I think they, they could be that good. Uh, of course, it's not a lock. I think they could also be a play-in team. They could be 10th in the West just because of how deep the West is. But uh, like we've talked about earlier, I think, you know, you're oftentimes the ceiling of your team is settled by your best player. And I think John Morant, uh, as long as he's healthy, is one of the best leaders in the league and one of the guys who can produce against just about anyone. Uh and that this team is, they, they've got a lot of interesting talent. And, they do. And players that, uh, it all kind of fits in the same mantra of guys who aren't exactly talked about, aren't exactly highly touted, but they've got talent. They've got heart, and I think they're motivated. And I think they're, you know, really going to be engaged this year. Uh, in pursuit of, I don't know if they believe they're contenders. In fact, no, I, I think they believe they're contenders. And even if they're not, I think they're going to behave as such going forward. I think they're going to be a really fun team to watch. Um, they've done such a good job drafting and developing. I mean, I love their bench. Tyus Jones, DeAnthony Melton, Kyle Anderson, Brandon Clark, Xavier Tillman. I mean, that's. That's at least three good defenders there, at least three good shooters. Right. They can mix and match. I mean, Bain was like one of the most polished rookies I've ever seen. That guy just knows what he's doing and hits threes and plays defense. Uh, I think this is one of those teams that just has a super low floor. Like, because they have 10 guys that are all NBA quality players, they're just not going to have a lot of bad lineups, right? So even if they're playing a team that's better than them starting-wise, they're going to be able to make up a lot of ground in the second quarter and stuff like that. And right. they're just, they're going to be in a lot of dogfights this year. And as we've seen with a lot of the top teams, it's all about the end goal, right? So there's, there's, there's going to be a lot of teams resting guys, you know, not taking the regular season super seriously. The Grizzlies aren't there yet. The Grizzlies are still in like, we're trying to prove ourselves. We're trying to win as many games as possible. Now, because they're in the West, I'm not going to predict 50 wins. But I do think that this team has the potential to get off to a good start and kind of get a nice groove, you know, and maybe be like, like you said, be a comfortable six or seven seed. Um, because they just, they're just not going to lay a lot of eggs, in my opinion. Yeah, they're doing it on both ends. They're going to be consistent. They're going to work hard every night. Um, I don't think there's too much volatility in the sense that. You know, I don't see them contending, but I don't see them falling out of the playoffs either. Uh, you know, there's, uh, I think they're going to be a good watch. Uh, uh, they're going to give a lot of teams who, you know, if you're the Warriors, if you're the Jazz, if you're the Nuggets, if you're the Suns, I think, or even like the Lakers, I think you're looking at that team, as you mentioned earlier, as a team that you're not exactly going to view as a cakewalk. So, yeah. Yeah. The, so my big prediction for the Grizzlies is, I'm I'm so close to being 100% in on this take, but I'm only like 90% there. Uh, 
because it's all about the health. But if he stays healthy, I think Jaron Jackson Jr. could finally have a breakout year. I mean, this guy's just so talented. I've seen the flashes. He's tall. He's athletic. He can shoot. You know, we already know what Jaw brings. I don't know how much Jaw, how much better Jaw can get. He probably can still, you know, get better. I mean, if he if he gets that mm-hmm. jumper down, he's going to be unguardable, right? Because he's already For super sure. quick and can get to the rim. Uh, if and because I think Adams is more of a defensive-minded player. Like he sets great picks, he rebounds, and he cleans stuff up on offense. But <laughs> he spent so much time playing with Russell Westbrook that he's used to not shooting. So I think going from Valanciunas not getting rebounds. Yeah, and well, from I think going from Valanciunas to Adams means more shots for everybody else. So I think mm-hmm. that will give Jackson every opportunity to be the second that number two guy this year. You know, even though Dylan Brooks is going to hijack a lot of possessions from him, you know, if <laughs> if if Jackson has it going and Brooks doesn't, then I think Morant's going to be smart enough to be like, okay, I got to run pick and roll with with uh, Jackson here. So, and then of course Zaire Williams, he could be really good. It's just not going to be this year. I think he'll show flashes, but you know, he's their their big hope for the future. I might do you one better, six seed. Okay. I could I think succeed. Um, I just I just you, like the teams ahead of him too much, but that's fair. It wouldn't that's shock fair. Me. We'll see. Yeah. Uh do we want to keep moving? Yeah. All right. Now let's get to the one of the most uh <sighs> volatile teams in the NBA, the New Orleans Pelicans. They are being coached by first time head coach Willie Green. And the Pelicans had quite a solid amount of turnover this offseason. So they still got Brandon Ingram and Zion Williams. Williamson, uh, those are their big two. Uh, they're forwards, even though they both look completely different body types. <laughs> Brandon Ingram's pretty much a two, true three. Williamson is a, he's a four. Uh, he can play five in some lineups. Right. Uh, they still have Nikhil Alexander-Walker who I absolutely love his game. He's he's kind of like, if you haven't watched him much, for Nuggets fans, he's like a rich man's P.J. Dozier. That's how I would describe his game. A lot of flexibility. Uh, yeah. Tall, can dribble, can shoot. Uh, I forgot the stat, but like when he started last year, I believe they said he averaged 17 a game. So they had a interesting lineup so we don't know for sure if he's going to start they have him listed as a starter but they also bring in Devonte graham uh in a trade because they decided not to re-sign lonzo ball so i know zion wasn't happy about that but lonzo didn't kill it in new orleans he played better he, his career got on track but it probably still didn't get to a point where you'd say you'd be happy with return on a guy that was the number two pick in the draft and then right. they got the change at center where they bring in Valanciunas for Steven Adams. I really like that move at first because, you know, they the idea was let's let's space the floor a little bit more for Zion. But it's not like he's a big-time outside shooter. He just will take them every now and then and can hit them. Uh, so let's go over the bench real quick. They bring in Thomas Sadoransky. He's a solid backup point guard. Uh, nothing to sneeze at. I've always liked his game. You know, European guy, smart smart player. He's one of those guys that uh, 
he always plays better like in Olympic basketball. You're like, whoa, who's this guy? And then they're like, oh yeah, he's a backup point guard for like the Wizards. <laughs> and right. then uh, it's kind of the Vlatko effect. Yeah, and then they they drafted Trey Murphy with the 17th pick, and he has just looked incredible uh, in summer league. A lot of people are really high on him. Six nine, rangy wing, could really shoot it. It's going to be interesting to see what kind of rookie year he has. Josh Hart's still here, uh, solid role player, three and D guy. Uh, Najee Marshall, who is a good defender, haven't really got to see him play much, but he seems like one of those guys that just, you know, he he makes your team better when he's on the floor because he does little things. Uh, Jackson Hayes, who, if we're being honest, he's super talented, but he just hasn't quite put it together yet. He's starting to look better, though, so maybe he will figure it out. Uh, they got Kira Lewis, another backup point guard, real small, shifty guy, really quick. Uh, not not a great shooter yet, but he'll he'll get more time to develop. Garrett Temple is on this team, which I didn't know he was still in the league, but I guess he's their veteran. Uh, and then Willie Hernan Gomez as another backup big guy. So I got to be honest, Ray, if you would have asked me a couple months ago what I thought of the Pelicans, I was one of those people that was much higher on their offseason than other people okay. because everybody else was like, well, they lost Lonzo, and he's one of their best players. And – you know, people that know me know I'm not that high on Lonzo Ball. I just think he's fine, but he's if he's one of your best three best players, you're kind of screwed. Um, I love Zion. I think Zion's incredible. He has struggled with injuries, and unfortunately, now we find out he's injured again, and he's not going to be starting the season. And the Pelicans have looked abysmal in the preseason. So I wanted to be optimistic. I wanted to say. I think this team's going to be firmly in the playoff, in the playing game. And now it's looking like this could be the season from hell for the Pelicans. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, I see them below the trying but not contender tier and more in the lying to themselves tier uh, about being okay. good right up there with the uh, Sacramento Kings. They're in a position where kind of as you say you know if you don't have your star player for any amount of time i think that's not a great not a great look i mean i think you i kind of question when you look at their best lineup or, or even like best potential lineups you can see, see there's some reason for optimism you know brandon ingram is a guy who I like as, as someone who can, he, he's sort of steadily developing and growing his game in little ways where is he the star player that, you know, he probably was, he was maybe not, but I think he does a lot of things for a team. And I think most teams in the NBA who want to compete would like to have a guy like Brandon Ingram on, on their sure. squad. At the end of the day though, I just don't think this team is that good. Uh, right. in the West where there's just, I think there are 10 teams ahead of them. Um, and I, and I kind of see them on the outside looking in of the, of the, uh, playing games. And that's just the, you know, they have a bright future, uh, as long as they can continue to grow and develop the players that they have. But, um, uh, come, you know, come April, I, I, this is a team I assume is going to be tanking. Ooh. That's that's not what they want to hear, but I, I unfortunately agree. I think uh, I think the Pelicans are a good example of. I like so many players on the roster, but the NBA is just so loaded, right? I mean, right. there's 
plenty of guys on this team that would get significant minutes for a good team. But yeah, unfortunately, the pieces here, they just don't look like they necessarily fit that well. And I, I'm really concerned about the defense. I mean, the defense was bad last year. And now you're placing Lonzo, who is good at defense, with Devontae Graham, who's like 6'1". Um, right. So, and Brandon Ingram, he's really tall and long and athletic, but he's so slight and he gets pushed around and he just seems uninterested in defense to me. I, I don't know if he can get better as a defender because I feel like he should be a better defender, but it just doesn't seem like that's really his MO. And then... Sorry, uh, Brandon in particular, yeah, I I like him a lot, but I think he's one of those guys who's talented, but in a position where he's not, you know, how many years has he been in the league and he's not contending for anything? So I don't think his focus is, you know, if you traded him back to the Lakers, I would bet he'd do better defensively just because he's like more engaged, more focused, more challenged to be better. But on this roster, on this team, in this context, I just don't expect a lot of uh, buy-in compared to other teams he could, right. other situations he could be in. Uh, sorry, sorry, no. Go ahead. For sure, I was just going to add that I, I'm I've been disappointed in Zion's defense since he's been in the pros. Uh, yeah, he's dealt with some injuries, but I, I actually just think it's it's the level of competition and the way the game is spread out. It was always going to be harder for him to move that much. Yeah mass to cover more ground the way you have to in the nba to be an effective defender so i guess that Mm -hmm. is not that much of a surprise but what i want to talk about with this team ray is something that's that's kind of an unfortunate thing to talk about but it has to be talked about and this team has just not had a good culture for quite a while they you know an article came out not that long ago about how zion doesn't get along with the gm a lot of people don't like David Griffin. They think he's, you know, they just don't think he has everybody's best interest in mind. Um, you know, Eric Bledsoe recently came out with quotes saying, like, I'm trying again, or I like basketball again now, or so, something really, like, strange for a pro to say. And it was just like, right. oh, so you didn't want to be in New Orleans. Like, we could all tell, but you really showed us, too, last year with your play. Um, my question is, if you just took this roster and you just dumped them in like Seattle or LA or Miami, I don't know, pick any city that cared more about basketball than New Orleans, would it be different? Because it almost seems like the vibe is part of the problem here, along with the culture of the GM not getting along with everybody. If people don't want to be there, you're not going to be good, right? Right. And, and that's kind of kind of what I, I felt like I was alluding to with Brandon. Uh, that that seems it just yeah it's just that air of dysfunction uh in not having full faith in what you're doing that is really what the pelicans are exuding right now uh, you being a new orleans guy uh i know you're not necessarily from new orleans but you live there in the area currently do you feel like on a local level that the pelicans are or i should say new orleans as a uh as a city is married to the pelicans in in ways that other teams are or how do you feel like that that relationship uh exists and and has an impact on on them as a as a roster i feel like they are the stepbrother that moved in 
to the other side of the house. They have their own bedroom. Mm -hmm. They don't bother anybody. You don't dislike them. You're okay with them. You hang out with them sometimes. But if they tell you next week they're moving out, you're not going to think twice about it. I mean, in this town, they mm -hmm. care about the Saints, number one, Mardi Gras, number two, uh, <laughs> LSU, number three, and most people don't know the Pelicans exist. So it's one of the saddest situations in the whole league because if you look at the other markets, it's either a big market or a small market that really cares about their team, right? Like, where would you rather live, New Orleans or Oklahoma City? Easy answer, right? Oh, definitely New Orleans. Yeah. But if you're an NBA player, the Thunder have built a pretty good culture. And whether they're good or bad, it seems like people care. And those players end up like either getting a better situation for themselves or like making a good career for themselves because it's just a positive vibe. Um, right. uh, let me take you back a little bit. Back in 2005, when Hurricane Katrina happened, uh, the New Orleans Hornets at the time got displaced and played their games in Oklahoma City when there was no team there. And it went so well that they ended up being awarded a franchise later when the Sonics moved there. So that was an example to me of a city rallying behind a team and really caring about it. And you just don't have that here in New Orleans. So despite what uh, the owner says about wanting to keep the team here long term, at some point, the NBA is just going to be like, well, if we're not selling enough tickets here and the players don't ever want to go there and they lose every single year, is it in our best interest to keep trying to make this work? So if you asked me, are the Pelicans still here in 15 years? I would guess no. That's tough. Uh, I, I was going to ask you a, a similar question along those lines. Um, I think that's, that's really tough. I mean, hypothetically, if that did happen and the team was sold, do you feel like New Orleans fans would be upset? Would they be disappointed? Would they be regretful? There might be a few diehards here and there that might be upset. But I think for the most part, they just look at basketball as entertainment, which it is. Basketball is entertainment, to be clear. But as right. long as the Saints don't leave, they'll be okay. Well, I think that's uh, that's about all we can say. We, we've got one more team in the division. Uh, do you want to move on to the San Antonio Spurs? Yes, the Spurs are still coached by Greg Popovich, the yes. longest tenured head coach in the league, five-time NBA champion, and most recently, gold medal winner. Soon to be potentially the winningest coach of all time. That's right. Oh, I forgot about that storyline. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So yeah. the Spurs have an interesting mix of players. They've got DeJounte Murray and Derek White in the backcourt. Two pretty good guards. I don't think either of them are going to make the all-star team this year. That would shock me. Uh, they bring in Doug McDermott, a uh, solid wing shooter. Keldon Johnson, who really impressed me last year and played pretty well in the Olympics, too. He's a solid slasher up front. And Jakob Pertl, who he's... Man, how would you describe his game? He's like a less athletic plumley, but makes less mistakes. I mean, he's he's in a, he's whatever big, right? Like he's rotational big mm -hmm. that doesn't get schooled, but isn't like gonna make big time plays. He's 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 in a, he's a spur. Like actually, you know who he reminds me of? Not necessarily in the same style, but of like the level of player. 
Do you remember Fabrizio mm-hmm. Alberto? He was a spur like back in their run like 10, 15 years ago. Loosely, but elaborate. What do you have to say? He's basically, he's a smart player, but he would be a good backup. If he's your starting center, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. All right. So their bench is Trey Jones, Lonnie Walker, who's really athletic. He, he seems like he's got a chance to be a pretty good player. Devin Vassell, their first-round pick from last year, pretty long, intriguing guy from, from Florida State. They bring in Thad Young, which is kind of interesting because Thad's, Thad's getting up there. He's been in the league a long time, and he's he's more like a he's like a guy you want off the bench for a playoff team. Uh, and they got Drew Eubanks at center, another pretty groundbound player. They bring back Bryn Forbes, who was on the the Bucks last year, and then they've got their first round pick, Josh Primo, who everybody was shocked at that pick. And then people were like, well, it's the Spurs. I'm sure he'll be great. Uh, the truth is he's not ready to play. He'll probably go to the G League. Um, he will might spend some time with the Spurs, but I'd be shocked if he's in the rotation this year. Uh, Kata Bates-Diop is on the roster, which I did not know. Interesting. And they do also have Jock Landale, who is a big guy from St. Mary's via Australia. I've, I liked his game a lot in college. I'm interested to see how well that translates to the NBA. And then they also, a lot of people forgot this, as did I, signed Zach Collins to kind of a long-term deal. Uh, not for an insignificant amount of money. I think it was years? like a two, two or three-year deal, maybe. Uh, okay. He's not going to play right away. In fact, so he might kind even of a buy-low the whole Yeah, extremely buy-low option. Um, the Spurs, I really don't have a lot of hot takes. I just I don't know what to expect other than I just think there's too much talent in the West for this team to break through. But, you know, the Spurs never die easy. Like, this, they could be in the mix for the plan up until the last week of the season. And if injuries break right, if if certain guys make leaps, they could make the plan. And maybe, you know, because they have arguably the greatest coach in NBA history, you only have to win one game. Popovich can pull stuff out, and I could see them, you know, stealing the eight seed. But I, I'm not going to predict that. I think I think the move, if they're being honest with themselves, is the Spurs need to tank. But unfortunately, when you when you sign Doug McDermott and you bring in Thad Young and you already have a bunch of other competent players, I don't know how tankable this roster is unless they start making trades. I I might be a little. I don't know how much lower I am on the Spurs than you, but I kind of see the Spurs as. Uh, they're trying, but they're not trying. You know, I, I don't think they're a roster that's going to be competitive, but I think at the same time, Popovich is looking to get the most out of his roster. And honestly, I don't think that's the worst situation for him in a sense of uh, crafting his legacy as, uh, you know, one thing can lead to another. And, and as you say, if the Spurs do somehow slip into the playoffs, I think he could be, a guy who's in like the coach of the year conversation all the while the Spurs as an organization are really in a position of kind of cultivating talent that is more likely than not going to be trade assets, things that they're going to flip for maybe a future star or future picks or just sort of continue to sort of expand their asset pool uh, through that sort of Spursian development process. And I think that's good for them. And I mean, I wouldn't be 
down as a Spurs fan. I think they they are trying to build the right way and, and, and still good habits in their players. And I think that's why they brought some of the vets that they have onto their team, even if it mean even if it doesn't necessarily get them the win total that they would like. Um, so compared to a lot of organizations, teams that might uh, go full tank commander and abandon any hope of winning and sort of bring in a bunch of guys with no sort of guidance. I think almost every player on this roster is going to reach at the very least the bulk of their potential. Uh, so it's, it's weird to say that I like the team without believing in them. Uh, but that that's about where I am. What do you think of DeJounte Murray? Do you, see him as a guy that still has a lot of room to get better and maybe be an all-star one day, or do you think he's just always going to kind of be that next tier guy? I think it depends on where he is Uh, because they're sort of in this rebuilding process. I don't see him being an all-star more because they're not going to be a good enough team to warrant having an all-star than DeJounte Murray not being talented. You know, I think if you if you swapped DeJounte Murray and Russell Westbrook, for example, I think he'd have a shot. He'd have an opportunity and he'd have that sort of room to compete at eye level and honestly be on TV, uh, on national TV in a way that he otherwise will not. But um, I think the best my the best hope for DeJounte Murray I can see is that they either make a deal that makes them competitive at some point or he gets sent somewhere where he can be in a more competitive position. Uh, But I like Dante Murray a lot as a guy who is long and can play on both ends and and do a lot of different things and even get hot on occasion and and be uh, for sure above average offensive player. Yeah. He, the one guy I think about that he reminds me of not quite as good, because he struggled with injuries, but he reminds me a lot of Shea Gilgis Alexander, right? A yeah. Long, lanky guard that can get to the rim, play good defense, and shoot a little bit. Shea's a better shooter. That's why he's got right uh, averages more points. So Dejounte, but he has he, time. If, yeah. Right. If Dejounte can improve the jumper, I don't hmm. see why he can't be an All Star one day. Because I still think that's the part of the game that's most teachable. Right. If somebody's not a quick twitch athlete, you're not gonna Right, like Jamal Murray, he's really good, but he's never going to be a Russell Westbrook, burn you in he's transition, never dunk have on your a head type player. Five inch, yeah, right. vertical kind of guy, but um, you can definitely learn to shoot, Ben Simmons. <laughs> so I've always liked Dejounte's game. I actually think yeah. the best player on this team, though, is Kellen Johnson. I, I think he's going to have a breakout year. He the really best player me. on the team. I think he's the best player on their team. He really impressed me when the Nuggets played them last year. I was like, who mm-hmm. is this guy? And they were like, oh, that's Kelvin Johnson. And he was only, I'm pretty sure last year was only his second year in the NBA. And he's just, he's bouncy. He He's he's all over the place. Uh, you may not like this comparison, but he's, the way he moves, just the way he glides, it, it kind of reminds me of Jeremy Grant, how he's just like around the ball so easily. But he makes much better decisions. He's a lot more aggressive than Grant is. Like Grant is very clunky. Uh Keldon's a better dribbler than Grant. The question for Keldon is also going to be the jumper. If he can add a shot, I definitely think he can be an all-star level player. 
Interesting. Uh, do you mean all-star as in make the all-star team or just compete on that level? Uh, I just mean, like, I think he's legitimately within two to three years away of being an all-star. I don't see it this year. I think next year or the year after, he could be an all-star. That could be interesting. I mean, LeBron might retire. Who knows? <laughs> but, yeah, I, I definitely think that they – could be primed to make a trade. I mean, we don't know what direction they want to go in and we don't know what else is going to transpire and become available because I do think they make sense as a Ben Simmons team if Ben Simmons is willing to go there. So Right. Would he be willing to like buy into the Spurs identity? I think right. Like they've got the ultimate roster that's primed to make a a two for one type deal because between Murray, Derek White, and Lonnie Walker, I like all those guys. And then they drafted right. Primo, who's another guard. If Primo pops, then one or both of two of those guys become expendable. And they've got guys like behind them who have like good tools who could develop. I think, you know, for, if anyone's going to get some value out of Kata Bates D up, it's probably Greg Popovich, you know. Uh, so I, I could definitely see them, you know, making a deal for a, a disgruntled star. Maybe it doesn't work out in LA and Russell Westbrook wants to leave or something like that. You never know. Uh, And I think they're sort of, uh, you could say that they're treading water and they're not going anywhere, but I think you could also say that they're, they have their ear to the ground for whatever comes next. And they've got a lot of flexibility in that sense. So, yeah, I think, I think they're, um, I think you have to say they're firmly ahead of the, the Pelicans now. Um, they're head of the Rockets and the Thunder, two teams that aren't trying to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to be in that mix for the plan. And if we're being honest, if you look to me, if you look at that grouping of like Portland, Minnesota, Sacramento, all those teams in that range, I think the Spurs are the have the least amount of turmoil, right? The least amount of like okay, they have to be good now or there's going to be changes, right? Mm-hmm. They don't have like a Carl Anthony Towns of a player who's been there for so long and is getting tired of losing and is going to want out. Like they have a bunch of young guys that are still hungry and guys that have tasted some success. I mean, they were in the playoffs just a few years ago, you know, and took game game one and game three from the Nuggets. So they, they've got guys with experience here, but And the state was coaching the league. Yeah, they'll, they'll be competent. I don't think they're going to fall in their face, but I also don't, I just don't think they're quite good enough to make the playoffs. Yeah. I, I tend to see them bottom three, not because they don't have the talent or don't, they're not, I think they're going to work hard and play the right way. I don't see them, but just being that, good it, it, it's 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 weird it, they're in a, they're not tanking they're not in a full rockets or thunder situation uh but i could also see them shutting down certain players as the year went on depending on how their season goes or, or you know or as you say they could double down and sort of say hey we've got a shot uh, at the play-in and i think that's kind of the point of the play-in and, and why we people would call it a success because teams like the spurs can convince themselves that hey you know, we have an outside shot at uh, getting in and playing meaningful, meaningful basketball. And even if you don't think you're going to win a title, uh, 
playing experiences, even the first round of the playoffs, you know, I think that has value for developing team as well. Uh, even in beyond its intrinsic value. So can I, can I leave you with uh, one interesting question about this whole division before we sign off? Sure. Sure. So we would agree that Luca is the best player in the division, right? Interesting. Let me consider that for a moment. And yes. Yes. <laughs> so if I told you that you had the number one pick in the NBA draft three years ago, would you take Zion Williamson or John Morant? John Morant. That's who I would take. I I think it's it's mainly the health factor is it too early am i too mean for asking that question already no i think it's because i specifically don't think it's too mean because the pelicans are and, and maybe this is where the nba is going but i think we're looking at luca we're looking at players like zion uh, as guys who their teams are trying to prove to them that hey we can contend. We can be competitive. We can do this thing. We can put a great team around you. Please stay. Please don't leave us. Uh, and I think that's kind of the point, unfortunately, that we're at where I think Zion might be one of the few players drafted in that position who, A, ultimately don't extend themselves with the team that drafted them. Yeah. And B, simply don't translate their talent level to NBA success uh, in, in ways that guys with that kind of momentum and hype built around them. I, I would say the hype around Zion and the hype around LeBron, at least the way it's framed, kind of similar right? in nature. Yeah. yeah. But clearly, you know, Zion's not leading his team to a finals appearance anytime soon. Yeah, let me let me try to clear up my question a little bit because I just I realized I it was kind of all over the place. I still sure. think that as of right now, today, Zion Williamson is a better basketball player than John Morant. My question is more about if you had a blank roster and you could take one or the other for the next 10 years, I'm taking Morant because I have a lot more faith in his health. That's the main not not talking about like culture or personality or all that. That's just simply step one. How many, like, what kind of career is Zion Williamson going to have? I hate to say it, but I, I see his career being a lot more Grant Hill, Tracy McGrady, mm -hmm. Penny Hardaway than than Kobe Bryant, Carmelone. And I think I both agree with you on that initial point of, like, health, but I also would take uh, Ja in the sense of how easy is it to build a contending team around this player? With Zion, I, I feel like oh, yeah. his best position is probably, I think it's center, honestly. That's a great point. Like, I wouldn't know how to build around Zion. I don't, it's hard uh, because he is such a unique player and, and one that it, there's no easy framework to, to, that you can translate around him, even with other very unique players. With a Jokic, you can say, oh, he's like a Magic Johnson or he's like a LeBron in certain aspects. With John Morant, you can say, oh, you know, we have we have past data. We have, you know, you can look at John Wall, you can look at other hyper athletes, Derek Rose at that position, 
uh, and, and say we can think about those teams and try and build similar or even better models uh, of finding role players that fit them and, and players who can kind of put them in the best position and players that Zion can put in the best position to succeed. I don't necessarily know what that looks like for Zion. That That's a great point, Ray. And I forgot to bring that up earlier when we were talking about the Pelicans, but they brought in Steven Adams last year with their mm-hmm. thinking being, let's put a big defensive center next to Zion. and It's going to work out. Well, the defense still wasn't good. And then Adams clogged the paint. So while Valanciunas isn't a drastically different player, I think this is just kind of their like panic move of let's try stuff, right? Because right. he's different. So at least if they bring Adams back, it probably looks the same again. Now it could look different. I think the kind of player you might want next to Zion long-term is a guy like Miles Turner, a guy who can defend the, the rim and can shoot a little bit. So if yeah. he becomes available, that's a target. If you're the Pelicans, I would figure out, I would see if you can find a way to trade for him. I like that a lot because there's a lot of flexibility in Zion and his ability to kind of, is he a five, is he a four? And I think you kind of feel a similar thing with Miles in that, is he a five, is he a four? Uh, and while for each of them individually, that's more of a question mark, I think together it's kind of a strength where they can be really switchable and be flexible in how they play offensively. Uh, I would also be interested in maybe a big guard, if, if that makes sense. Uh, I know like they Lonzo already Ball? had Lonzo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Lonzo Ball. Uh, but I'm thinking more of, you know, I like the best offenses for Zion. If he's your best player, you're going to put the ball in his hands. Can you run someone? Maybe you can run an inverted pick and roll with. You know, I think if they could swing Ben Simmons, I, I would be interested in that too for them. Man, that would um, be fascinating. It would be fascinating. Uh, that would be two of the most I, unique players in NBA history on the same team. And they're both absolutely. lefties. And they're both lefties, supposedly, in theory. Now they just got to get hardened, and then you have the, the big three lefties. The hefty lefties? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah, you yeah. just insulted uh, Ben so, Simmons, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of did. James, James, <laughs> is, he's been hefty. Uh, Zion, people could say he's hefty, but I mean, well, sorry, Ben, uh, it it just fits too well. Uh, so that that pretty much wraps up our preview of the Southwest Division, and we will see you in the next pod for the Pacific. <laughs>